Hello, and welcome to the Andwise Podcast. We are delighted to have you here spending some time with us. Andwise is a technology platform that aims to empower medical students, trainees, and early career physicians navigate the complex financial journey that we all find ourselves on as we aim to help others. Thanks for joining us. Cheers. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Andwise podcast. We have one of our medical advisory board members here, Dr. Gabriella Rosen-Kellerman. We're so happy she can join us today. Thank you so much for making time, Dr. Kellerman. Yeah, yeah happy to. It's great to be here. Gabriella's had a very illustrious career. She went to Harvard for undergrad, Mount Sinai for medical school. She's worked as a chief innovation and product officer for BetterUp. She's a writer. She's an author, but I'm going to let her introduce herself completely since I can never do the guest justice. No, that you, you did great. Thank you. Yeah, I went to med school. The short version is I went to med school to be a psychiatrist and I got into my residency at UCSD, found that the field I was excited about because I felt like there was still so much to learn, it was hard to accelerate learning and innovation from within the academic clinical psychiatry environment for all kinds of reasons. I just I felt like the pace of innovation wasn't fast enough there, and that was what I was excited and motivated about. So found my way to the emerging digital health tech sector and learned a whole kind of second career in tech and in business. I've now been in that area for about 15 years in a variety of scientific business product executive roles for companies that are using digital tools to innovate and to scale impact, in particular with an emphasis on behavior change and on thriving and on actually building well-being in addition to scaling access to care for psychopathology. That's amazing. When you were in medical school, did you have an inkling that you wanted to go into innovative tech-related fields, or is that something that developed, as you were mentioning, during your residency? Yeah, I think med school for me was a little bit of a square hole round peg or the other way around, but it was still, I think, the best choice. I did know I wanted to innovate and I did know that I wanted to work in a really interdisciplinary way on mind, brain, behavior problems. Undergrad, I did a very interdisciplinary major in that direction. And I felt like med school, yes, we we do eventually pick a pretty uh, specific residency and even for some people fellowship, but we get a very diverse grounding in the body and the brain and the physiology. And so the training I thought was really important and excellent and diverse. And from a, a tooling perspective, if you think about what are the tools that we have to help people, let's say specifically with psychopathology, well, we have drugs, we have some procedures, we have therapy. And the one place where you can get trained in all three of those, of course, depending on the residency you pick is through medicine. If you go the, let's say the psychology or the social worker route, you don't get access to the full array of tools and to the training and all of them. So that was why I chose it. I thought it was totally viable that I would stay in medicine for my career. And I didn't know what that position would look like, but 
I fully intended and, and went into med school doing a lot of research and tending to be both a clinician and researcher and even chose my residency based on how much research time I would get as part of the psych residency at UCSD. But for all kinds of reasons, it still felt too slow. And then once once you left residency, did you stick around in San Diego or did you physically move yourself to like San Francisco or any other city where a lot of the, the sort of tech startups or companies are? Or how, how did yeah. that go for you? Yeah. So I'll say a little bit about that moment of leaving residency. It was terrifying and I didn't know what I was leaving for. I had clarity that it wasn't the right field for me. It wasn't long-term going to be the right profession for me, but I didn't know what was. I didn't know where the innovation was happening. For the first few years out of residency, I was just experimenting. I was throwing a lot of spaghetti against the wall. I continued to work clinically in those years, a public health outpatient clinic with an awesome mentor and set of teams and teachers there. And that was really fun. And actually, that was an environment where they were more experimentally minded and they were starting to bring in some tools like teletherapy in that place. That was one of the signals that helped me figure out where the innovation was coming from. There were a few other things I did at the same time and it all really pointed me toward tech. Now, eventually we relocated from San Diego to the San Francisco Bay Area, but that was actually driven by family. I'm from this area and we wanted to be closer to home. And it wasn't until we were already living and settled here that I got my first in-house tech role. It certainly helped that I was here to do that in that era. I think today, actually, there's so much happening all over the country that you don't have to relocate for that reason. But uh, it worked out really well. It actually wasn't the reason we moved to this area to begin with. Yeah, that's great that um, you wound up there for family rights. Um, but I think you're absolutely right. Like now with the acceleration of sort of people being able to work from home, a lot of telecommuting is happening in all sorts of industries and COVID definitely accelerated that. But I totally relate with you. I left a residency also. I left ophthalmology and I changed, eventually I changed into internal medicine. I ended up finishing that one, but I remember leaving and people just looked at me like I had two heads yeah. people yeah. did not understand why i would possibly want to like strangle this golden goose and yeah. I, I don't know what the exact statistics are but it seems like the majority of physicians do some sort of residency and stick to that path initially mm -hmm. and then later might transition but it's like quite daunting to leave in the middle and carve out your field separate mm -hmm. from what the majority considers traditional sounds like that the clinical work you did and the people you wound up around, they were inspiring. But did you actively reach out to people on LinkedIn or anything like that to get their guidance? Or did things just work themselves out once you were in the Bay Area and started handing out your CV to places? Yeah, great question. So in that era, LinkedIn really wasn't a big thing, certainly for this kind of networking. And my network that I would eventually tap into it, it, it still wasn't mobilized in that way. I started from what are the skills that I have to offer today that will be valuable and to whom will they be valuable where I can also learn something that will help me figure out where I'm trying to go and what I'm trying to do. For me, the skills obviously I had a, a good amount of training by then, not a full psychiatry residency, but a good amount of medical and psych training. I was oriented toward child psych. 
and I'm still very interested in pediatric behavioral health. And I had done a fair amount of time in pediatric wards. I had some minimal stuff to offer there. I'm also a writer. As you mentioned, I wrote a book. It's always been something I've enjoyed and I'm reasonably good at. I went out to look in the market of what are some part-time gigs I can get applying these skills and anything that seemed like an opportunity to learn, I tried it. I did some journalism, I did some writing, and that was great because it gave me the opportunity to cover conferences. I covered a bunch of conferences and important events that were about what's changing in the field and what's happening. I was able to learn a lot and get paid some small amount to do it and build my resume a little bit. I used my local network in San Diego to find my clinical opportunity. And that was just the local clinical world, which if you do a residency in the geography, you make some contacts and it's helpful. And then I did a lot of internet research. LinkedIn wasn't as much of a thing, but there's plenty to learn on the internet about who's doing what. Funnily enough, in those days, you still could find interesting work on Craigslist. I looked on Craigslist for some things and found some interesting roles where they were looking for MDs to help with input on various things. Some were super sketchy. And we figured that out pretty quickly. And and then other things uh, were really interesting. So I got to help out with a a documentary and give them input on on some of the ways they were thinking about things. It was a documentary about citizen science. So the ways that people are measuring their own health and using this sort of at home, outside of of an institution, self-measurement to advance their health. And actually through that, I learned about all kinds of apps and tools that are on the market for consumers. So again, it was like, where are the tools coming from? What's fueling the ability to even do the citizen science? And it was all pointing me in the same uh, general direction. That's awesome. And then for residents or early career physicians or or anyone that's like interested in becoming a writer like yourself, I think a lot of us write a blog for Kevin MD or for ourselves, and then we stop because sometimes fear stops us. We might not be as great as writers as you, but you've been a contributor and a writer for all sorts of publications like The Atlantic and Wall Street Journal and Discovery Channel. If you're comfortable sharing, do you remember how you got into those things in terms of, were you just always a good writer and you did this yourself or did you have to get a writing coach or how how does one actually become like a contributing writer? I think part of it is your writing capability. Part of it is that idea of the content of what you want to write about. And so when you're pitching an outlet, a media outlet, they want to know you can write, but they also want to be covering something that is new and interesting and people care about. I don't think we have enough doctors' voices writing right now. So I think there's a ton of room. I think that for each person, it's about what do I have to say that hasn't been said that's interesting and timely and relevant. And There are a couple of things I wrote in the early days that was, okay, through the lens of someone with a reasonable amount of training in behavioral health, how do I think about, let's say, a current news event and what insight can I offer on a current news event? And if you have something important to say that's from a well-educated place and it's it's a perspective that's not out there, you can probably find someone who will be willing to, to give a platform. There's a demand for a lot of content now. Think carefully about what's new and fresh about your idea and and have courage, be bold. The worst that happens is they say, no, we don't want this, but they might give you feedback and it will help you improve the piece and you can go to someone else. Content is king right now. Everyone's looking to 
fill the next five minute news cycle. I think I think that's of interest to folks as a way to diversify your portfolio of activities. I would say go for it and try it and keep trying it. And there's a high likelihood you'll succeed. Yeah. And then fast forward a few years now, and you've got a book out. I just saw in January of 2023, Tomorrow Mind, right? That's your book. Mm -hmm. It has like phenomenal reviews on Amazon. I was just reading, I'm sorry, I haven't read the book, but I was reading through some of the reviews. And it seems like tackling a topic about thriving in the workplace is just so relevant now because one of the things I've noticed, but everyone's noticed the past few years is like how healthcare workers are just dropping out of the workforce in, yeah. in hordes, right? And your book is published with a co-author, like a, a professor of uh, psychology, right? Uh, going through and publishing this book, there, there must have been things that you've seen like the past three years of like hundreds of thousands of healthcare workers dropping out of the workforce. Uh, is there anything that comes up in conversation that you've noticed that healthcare institutions are now changing or focusing more on? I know a lot yeah. of them like post a lot of stuff, but I haven't seen yeah. uh, in the workplace that many like actionable steps being taken that I've noticed I'm credentialed at like two different hospitals. I have a lot to say on this topic. The narrative version of this is that my career came full circle in a way recently in building tools to help people thrive. One of the funders of innovation in that area is large employers and not all large employers, but many have realized that when people have high degrees of well-being, when people are uh, able to cope with stress, they perform better. And so it is in uh, their interests, not just as human beings, but even as shareholders and guardians of the corporate uh, fiduciary responsibilities that, that they should invest in this for employees. Over the last seven years, I've been working at BetterUp, which is an executive coaching company that's very evidence-based, and it's all about how do we work sustainably um, and build well-being for employees who can really achieve their potential and, and thereby also advance the success of the companies they work for. In doing that, I've learned a tremendous amount. It's been really fascinating and fun about the inner workings and the agendas of, of massive uh, institutions and corporations around the world. And what do they need from the people who are there to work for them in and out every day or devoting most of their waking hours to these corporations? How are they trying to get it? What's working and what's not? And healthcare is, is one of the most extreme examples. And I, I lived it as you still live it. I feel incredible empathy for everyone working in healthcare today as a direct care provider. I think it's hard to overstate just how much of a pressure cooker, how much of a, a time crunch are direct service providers are in. And also they are still delivering this incredibly complex, incredibly high stakes offering that needs to be delivered with care and with compassion. And it needs to be delivered with compassion because that's what we want, right? It's soul crushing to be a doctor who's not able to deliver that kind of care. Um, but also because it gets better outcomes for the patients when they have those connections with us. It's become a very difficult situation. I've had the opportunity to work with some of the world's largest healthcare systems on these problems. There's a lot of really good, smart people who are trying to work on this. And as, as we all know, hospital systems are incredibly arthritic bureaucracies where it's very hard to affect 
change culturally. It's very hard to affect change that crosses over so many pockets of administration and oversight and you know medical legal constraint. All of that's part of why I'm, I'm not technically in a healthcare system today as an employee. Innovation is very hard to do there. Um, what I think is not working is when hospitals and, and other companies do this too, when they have a wellness day or, or they, they offer a, something to employees that feels like too little and it feels like just one more thing that the employees have to take on themselves when so many employees will say, I just need a lower patient load. I need to see 10 patients a day instead of 25 patients a day. And unlike other corporate environments where I think that actually there's a lot that can be done within the constraints of the job requirements in terms of building well-being, building resilience, et cetera, I do think that the load that's being put on our healthcare workers today is one of the most important factors that has to be dealt with first before we can expect people to perform miracles and, and get through these massive patient loads in an effective, high-quality, compassionate way that's not completely draining um, for them. I do think it'll change. I think that it's uh, a matter of time. I think that as doctors leave the, the hospital systems, it has to correct. I'm also really excited and optimistic about newer approaches and alternative systems that are being built and developed that are more efficient, um, that are more reasonable in terms of expectations. I think that it creates this competitive pressure in the environment. That's one of the only ways that these massive systems will affect change. I know that was a really long answer. I have a lot to say on this yeah. topic. Um, no. It's all very real. The, the book, Tomorrow Mind, we released in January. What it's about is for seven years, one of my roles at BetterUp has been leading scientific research and building a lab there. We have about 50 PhD behavioral scientists on staff, and we're studying what are the skills we need to thrive in today's world of work. All of those skills would be helpful to healthcare workers. And in fact, one of the chapters focuses heavily on the research that's been done around how to deliver compassionate care and what that means for people outside of healthcare, what we can learn from that. But that said, of all of the industries and all of the professions where these things can help people and also other kind of outside-in changes need, I think healthcare is the one where that outside-in change is, is most urgent. Yeah, I think you just brought up like many important points. One, one of them I wanted to touch on to do with your book and with BetterUp is like the concept of coaching. I think physicians... Traditionally, we go through all this education, taking standardized tests. Residency is something of a see someone modeling behavior, them closely watching you, and then you hopefully doing the same thing. But when, once we're done with residency, at least in my own experience, I just found it tremendously isolating because everyone runs off to be with their families and loved ones. And you don't have that same sense of camaraderie that you do in medical school and residency once you're an attending. But I don't think coaching's like that widespread at all. I've seen some physicians write about it previously. Like one of, one of the books I read in residency was like, yeah. I think it was like Better by like Atul Gawande, the surgeon that was talking mm -hmm. about what a coach into his operating room or a retired yeah. surgeon. Mm -hmm. um, and that was really powerful. And I just think about, I've worked at a dozen different hospital centers the past decade. I've, I've never seen or actually heard anyone speak out aloud about getting their own coach 
as a physician. I know someone now, my brother, he's a former plastic surgeon. I, I don't know if it's just that people don't talk about it or it sounds like it's not that widespread yet in the physician community. Yeah, I think that um, among physicians, it is not at all common to have a coach. In other industries, it's much more common. And I like what you brought up about the level of of support and teaching that happens earlier in your career and then it's not there. I think part of the experience of that loss that happens when we leave training, yes, it's the camaraderie, but I think it's also that sense of someone's investing in your growth. Now, the flip side of that is you're working crazy hours and you may not feel like the return is there on on depending on the residency you're in. But we we know that one of the ways that we find actually the number one way that we find meaning in our work today. There's seven different categories that have been defined and and studied across the population. And the number one and number two um, of the seven are all about growing. One is feeling like we're growing as a person. Another is feeling like we're growing professionally in our skills. And it's like fish, they have to keep swimming, right? We have to keep growing or we stop feeling alive. We stop feeling whole and fulfilled. And so one thing that happens certainly as we leave residency and we don't get that anymore, we have to figure out How do we find it and experience it versus in corporate environments? Actually, there's a lot invested in learning and development. You will always have a boss who will at some level have responsibility, make sure you're growing and you have opportunities for challenge. There's more of that built in in a continuous fashion in a non-healthcare setting. But I think that it's also the sense of where am I supposed to go now in my career because I'm here and I really quickly reached the most senior place I can be, right? And so I think that's part of also what's fueling people to look outside of healthcare is they want to keep growing. They want to feel like they're advancing in their career in some way, but healthcare doesn't really provide these growth paths and pathways outside of, let's say, growing more as an administrator, which many people are not interested in. One other factor it's worth naming is that, you know, I mentioned a few times the time crunch. We, we all feel this time crunch in the sense of what's called time famine, which is more the experiential side of it. What does it feel like to always be in a hurry? We don't have enough time. Doctors and those providing direct health care really struggle with this. And when we're in that mindset, one of the first things that we're going to cut off of our list is like learning opportunities. It's less urgent than getting through your list of patients. We don't have the time carved out. We don't operate in systems that make sure we can have that time. And and then we end up feeling really stagnant. No, you're absolutely right. You know, a a lot of physicians, whether they're, and we're coming up on time, but um, a lot of physicians now, whether they're in residency or whether they're, you know, early career, mid-career, if they're considering a career career, change or evolution in their career. I know one of the fears that a lot of us have are that, oh, I have an MD or a DO or what, whatever advanced degree, but I don't have time now to get additional training, whatever that might be. Is the big buzzword the past like 24 months and stuff. Since you're at the sort of intersection of leadership and tech and all of these exciting fields, are there like courses or anything that you've come across that you think are like helpful for people to build upon their skill set or not? I, I know people can Google this. I, I was just interested if you'd come across any yourself. Yeah, there's so much, right? And how to pursue it depends on what you're interested in and passionate about. 
there's lots of ways to gain domain expertise, subject matter expertise in something like AI. Yeah, there's videos and stuff you could watch, but there, there's courses you can take and sign up for and um, places that are teaching it really well. I think that could be really meaningful, especially for someone who's more technically minded and, and misses being able to geek out on new technology. You mentioned leadership too, and, and I think that's a great area for people to think about growing as physicians was we really don't get meaningful leadership training in med school. And it's such an important component of having a successful team, having a successful unit, having a successful practice. I think that is sometimes how people do come to work with coaches as they work with leadership coaches. If it's something that people are interested in, I think a good place to start is just find some of the classic books on leadership and what makes great leadership. See if even reading a couple of books about it gets you excited and makes you think differently about your day, about your interactions with the people you're working with. And then if so, yeah, you might want to work with a coach, someone who maybe has specific expertise with physician leaders. It's an endless journey in the sense of there's no ceiling to the level of growth you can have as a leader of others. And I also, I've been in this sort of leadership coaching space now again for about seven years, a couple more years ahead of that as an advisor to, to better up. And there's so much of what makes great physician leaders that it just comes to people innately, right? And so you look at a leader in the hospital is doing really well. And there's just like, they're guided by an intuition of what they should do rather than being trained. But beyond that, there is this skill set that really does have to be trained and learned, especially as you grow into greater and greater levels of responsibility where it's not, it's no longer intuitive how to confront those situations. That doesn't mean our intuition isn't helpful, but it really helps to learn from people who have been there, who've worked with others. It's in many ways an unnatural human position to be in to, let's say, lead an organization of a thousand or more people to run a PNL of eight digits, nine digits. These are not things that we evolved to do, so to speak. And so learning from what makes people great at those levels um, is really interesting. It's really meaningful. And again, it's just, it's not necessarily something you intuitively work your way into. Yeah. Um, all of this has been really insightful. Thank you so much for your time. Um, we're going to include your website. It's just your name spelled out, GabriellaRosenKellerman.com. Um, any other final thoughts you would like to leave people with or anywhere else you'd like them to connect with you? I think for if people no, that's the best place to connect with me for sure. And by the way, you can pick up my book. I do speaking events um, for lots of organizations. But for people who are listening who are just in early stages of thinking about work outside of medicine or ways to keep growing and feel like you're gaining new skills. I just think, don't be afraid to start, know your value, know what you've learned and look for ways, look for places that can benefit from it. And again, the worst that happens is someone says, no, you're going to hear a lot of no's, but eventually you get a yes. And then you get to do something new and interesting and see if you like it. Yep. That's perfect. Thanks again. Really appreciate your time. Yeah.